pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. Hallelujah. Karen, would you come up here? You know, we had Rick Renner here in January. How many appreciate Rick Renner? And, uh, you know, and it's an honor to have these uh, generals come into our house. It's, it's really a privilege. And uh, we have one here this morning. And in 1991, I was introduced to this man's ministry when I enrolled at Rama Bible Training Center. And uh, it changed my life. Uh, his teachings changed my life. Uh, the way that he taught the Bible, the care that he put in, uh, breaking down the Word of God was something that was an indel- put an indelible mark on my ministry. And, you know, just like I did Rick Renner, and just like I do David Emi, my father in the faith, I like to give honor to whom honor is due. And I am grateful for the Joneses. I am grateful for not only the impartation that happened to Karen and I when we went to school, but also that the Lord has opened the door for us to be friends as well. And that is a tremendous, tremendous blessing. I would never have thought at 23 years of age, sitting and listening to this man teach the Bible, that I would one day have dinner with him and fellowship with him. It is truly an honor to have my favorite teacher, Doug Jones. Amen. chapter 12, if you will. Are we on now? It's good to be in the house. I remember when you all were in the little church, and so God's done some good things. Amen? We're privileged to be here with Greg and Karen, and we love these guys, and so honored uh, to be honored here and to be um, uh, allowed to speak into your life. We do not take that lightly at all. Um, God's been good to you all, and uh, God sent you a wonderful pastor and a wonderful Bible teacher. Amen. And uh, if anyone thinks about this church as not being taught, they don't know this church. And so um, I'm honored once again to be here. Romans chapter 12, if you will. This scripture keeps coming up in my heart this morning, so I'm not sure exactly where we're going, uh, but we will um, endeavor. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says very clearly here that we have been warned that we are not to be conformed to this world, implying that that's the possibility. And if we're not real careful, it'll be the norm rather than the exception. The word conformed means this. It means to squeeze into shape. To squeeze. Be not squeezed into the shape of this world. It means, the word conform means to behave accordingly. To behave accordingly. It means to be brought into harmony. Do not be brought into harmony with the world. I like this one more than anything. It means to adapt 
the form of those around you. To adapt the form of those around you. And it seems like to me very, very clearly here that he's talking about a cultural collision and a cultural conflict that you and I are going to be involved in as we live and walk with God. Amen. And I want you to go with me, if you will, to Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, because Jesus also speaks of this cultural conflict in um, Matthew chapter 5, if you will, Matthew chapter 5. He speaks of these things, and I find it very interesting that this is the Sermon on the Mount. He begins his earthly ministry after being baptized, and um, he begins to give the Sermon on the Mount. And in this Sermon on the Mount, he clearly uh, forewarns us of this cultural conflict that you and I are going to encounter. And notice notice the phrases in beginning with Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21. Look at this. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, or whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But now underline the next five words. But I say unto you. But I say unto you. In other words, there's going to be a cultural conflict here. Because my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. And he says these words in verse 27. You've heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. Verse 28, but I say unto you, slaps this cultural conflict right in the face again. In verse 30, and again you have heard that it has been said by them of old time. Verse 34, but I say unto you. Look at verse 38. You have heard that it has been said. Verse 39. But I say unto you, verse 43, you have heard that it has been said, verse 44, but I say unto you, it's very clear here that Jesus forewarned you and I that there's going to be a cultural collision and a conflict that we must be very much aware of in this day and time. And I I want you to notice here, for me personally, as I begin to think about this, I think back to Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul puts it just a little bit plainer and a little bit more bold. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6. And I want you to notice what it says here in Ephesians 6. In verse 11. Ephesians 6 in verse 11. Paul says these words. Well, let's read verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication. I want you to notice here, in verse 11, he says these words. Put on and underline it. 
the whole armor of God. Underline that phrase. The whole armor of God. Then once again, in verse, in verse 13, underline this phrase. Wherefore, take unto you the, here it is again, the whole armor of God. What that tells me is this, is that no one piece of the armor will be able to satisfy you and to help you during this conflict that we're going to be involved in. It takes the whole armor of God. So that must mean then that we must never specialize in any one of these pieces of armor. And I find it very interesting as we look at this passage of Scripture. It's very evident he's talking about a conflict. And he's talking about the fact that if you do not put on this whole armor of God, uh, you'll be as quickly defeated as an unarmored soldier in the middle of a battle. And we need to understand that this war is a real war and there is real casualties in this war. And he says that we are to take unto ourselves the whole armor of God. But I find it interesting that 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I want you to hold your finger here in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, also speaks of this thing. Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 8, he says these words. Paul, here again in 1 Thessalonians, writing to the Thessalonians, and yet he wrote Ephesians also. But yet Paul, here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 8, he says these words. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith. Oh, no, no, no. I, I thought it was the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness. And of love wasn't even mentioned as, as, a, as a piece of armor over there in uh, Ephesians chapter 6. He did get this one right. And the helmet, the hope of salvation. I find it very interesting that Paul does not remain loyal to his um, figuratism, if you will, to these symbols. He does not remain loyal to this armament uh, uh, terminology. And so with that in mind, I want you to go back with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 6. And, and, and so, so because Paul did not remain loyal to that, to that armament, if you will, symbolism, what I want to do is, is I want to take out all the armament uh, statements found in chapter 6, and I want to show you what the real armor of God is. I want to begin, if you will, in verse 13. He says these words, Therefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having, all, and having done all to stand, stand therefore with truth. Underline it. With truth. And have on righteousness. And take the gospel of peace, which is the gospel of reconciliation. The gospel of peace. And above all, take faith. And above all, take your salvation. And above all, take the word of God. What is the armor of God? The armor of God is truth, righteousness. It's what you know about the gospel of peace. It's what you know about faith. It's what you know about salvation. It's what you know about the word of God. Can I put it to you this way, guys? The armor that we are to use to win whatever battle this is talking about is the armor of knowledge. It is the knowledge that we know about faith and the, and the word of God and truth and righteousness and the gospel of peace. It is, it is knowledge. The Lord said this to me years ago. Uh, knowledge and its proper use wins battles. 
knowledge and its proper use wins battles. It's very clear to me that the Bible tells us very clearly that ignorance and victory are impossible roommates. It's impossible to be ignorant and have victory in your life. You're going to have to know some things. I want you to go over there. You remember the verses. Let's just go and quote them. Uh, Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. Uh, because my people, have gone, my people are going to be destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Amen? Well, that word destroyed is combat terminology. It means that there's been a battle that's been fought and you got destroyed because you couldn't handle it. And, and you were destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. Go with me, if you will, to, to, to Isaiah 5. This is an interesting verse. Isaiah chapter 5. And look at what this thing says. Isaiah chapter 5, in verse 13. Love this verse. No, ignorance and victory are impossible roommates. You're going to have to know some things. You're going to have to have your mind renewed. The only remedy for this cultural conflict that we're, that we're involved in today is renewed minds with the word, transformed minds with the word of God. Isaiah 5 and verse 13, uh, God says these words, Therefore, my people are gone into captivity. There's that word again, captivity. It speaks of a battle. You lost. Because, because they have no knowledge. It's very clear here that ignorance and victory are impossible roommates. But Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 that we are to take the knowledge that we have about the word, about, about, the Holy, about righteousness, about the gospel of peace, about the truth, about our salvation, about faith, and we are to use it appropriately. Now, the thing that we have to ask ourselves is this. What is this knowledge supposed to be used against? Go with me, if you will, to verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11. Where is this knowledge supposed to be? Where where is this battle going to be fought? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11. Look at what it says here. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against, underline it, the wiles, underline that phrase, the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil. Then go with me, if you will, to verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, underline it, in the evil day, underline that phrase. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Then in verse 16, I want you to underline another phrase. We're talking about where is this armor to be used in. It's used against the wilds, against the evil day. Look at verse 16. And above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all, underline it, the fiery darts of the wicked one. So it's very clear here that our armor that we are to use is to be used against in the evil day, against, if you will, the wiles of the devil. It is to be used to quench, if you will, the fiery darts. So we've got to ask ourselves the question, where is this battle going to be fought? What's this battle all about? I present this for your consideration. The battle that we are to, to wage is in the battle of the mind. It is within the thoughts, the ideas, and suggestions that are hurled at us from the wicked one. Thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. And we are to use the armor that we have, the knowledge that we have, and we are to use it against the thoughts, first of all, the suggestions and the ideas that come to us. 
This is a battle of the mind. It's easily understood when you look around us and see at all the casualties of those around us. The casualties of this battle when it's lost is depression, hopelessness, fear. It's worry. It's unforgiveness. It's adultery. Because there was a battle that was fought in the mind, the individual lost, and they succumbed. Fornications, the same way. Suicides, the same way. Teenage rebellion, the same way. Narcissism within a husband, the same way. Marriage problems. Inappropriate relationships with one another. Employees losing their jobs because they've stepped over a line. They've thought on things that, and they lost. So the issue is this. It's very clear here that the war that we are fighting is the battle of the mind. We need to understand, and they gave me a while back ago, they gave me the book of Romans to teach. I've never have taught that book before. And I tell you, it's rocked my boat. And um, there's much to be said about that. But the startling thing that I found was, was that in Romans 1, the first, the first indication of, of, of the fall of man was the messed up mind. They became a fool in their minds, totally irrational in their thinking, uh, illogical in their thinking. And so this whole thing has affected our minds a whole lot more. And I actually told the students, you're a lot, you're a lot more messed up in your mind when you get born again than you think you are. And we and I, as believers, we need to go ahead and make sure that we t- spend time, much time, in the renewing of our minds, changing the way we think. But here again, this is not an issue that, that, well, you know, I wasn't that far off. No, just because you leave a good life doesn't mean you're that far off. I mean, you're a lot further off than you think you are. And so the thing about it is we need to understand that this battle of the mind is a, is a real issue and it needs to, be, needs to be understood. It's very clear here that the enemy is throwing these fiery darts, the wiles, the evil day. We know that the Bible says that he walks about seeking whom he may devour. We understand that. We understand in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, which is a very interesting verse. He said, for we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. We are not ignorant of Satan's devices. So we've got to come to a grip, if you will, to discover what are the devices of the wicked one that he uses against us to destroy us, to devour us, to steal from us, to kill us. What, what devices does he use? He, use? he uses thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. Let's talk about this just a little bit. I want you to go with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, this is a precedent-setting event. It is the first time that Lucifer approaches Adam and Eve. It's the first time that Lucifer approaches humanity to steal from them. What I mean by a precedent-setting event is this, is that a precedent-setting event is the record of an act that acts as a guide for future acts of a similar kind. Uh, there are court cases in America that we do not want them to judge for because if they, if, they, if they agree to it, well, then it sets precedent. Then they have to allow everyone else that comes their way that wants to do the same thing, they have to give them permission to do, do it also. 
It is a precedent-setting event. It's the record of an act that acts as a guide for future acts of a similar kind. The very first time that, that, that humanity is approached by, by Lucifer in order for him to steal from them, this is, a record, this, is a, this is a record of an act that acts as a guide for every encounter with Lucifer that we have as humans from that day until now and until Jesus comes, to be honest with you about it. And I want you to notice here that when Lucifer approaches Adam and Eve, or Eve specifically, he, 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 all he does is he's offering a little bit of a thought, a little bit of an idea, a little bit of a suggestion. Look at what it says here in Genesis chapter 3. In verse 1, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God hath made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? All he offered to her was a thought. It was an idea. It was a suggestion. That's all he offered. And, and, notice what it says here. And the woman answered and said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the trees, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said that you shall neither eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And Lucifer didn't even flinch. But he turned right around and said unto unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, And ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. I want you to notice here, he's actually coming to her, actually with almost with the tone of a friend, informing you of things that you're missing out on. Come on. That's all he's doing. He's not coming, he's not coming with, he's not coming with all that kind of stuff. Did you know that there's no place in the Bible that I can find where fear is associated with, it, with an encounter with the devil? Not one time. There is more fear when an angel shows up or when Jesus walked through the door. Oh, fear not. I'm sorry. I didn't. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. No, when Lucifer comes, he comes as a friend. It's, it's logical thoughts. It's rational thoughts. And listen to what he says here. He says that you should not surely die. But God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened, and you shall be as God, knowing the, knowing the difference between good and evil. And the woman actually kind of thought on what he had said. I want you to notice here that all he offered to her was a little bit of a thought, a little bit of an idea, a little bit of a suggestion. Come on, guys. And I want you to notice this. Notice here that, that, when, that when Lucifer approaches Eve, he questions two things about God. Verse 1, he says these words, Hath God said, Lucifer will always question what God has said. He will always question what God has said. Then in verse, then in verse 4, You should not surely die. For God doth know, he'll question what God will do. He always questions those two things. What God has said, what God will do. Now what's interesting to me is this, is that Lucifer, Lucifer is approaching Adam and Eve with thoughts to lead them into their fall. Because he learned, he learned from his own experience with God. Go with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 14. In Isaiah chapter 14, Lucifer is in reality the first 
the first being, can't say person because we, but he's the first being that fell from, from his place with God. And what Lucifer did after he was kicked out of heaven, Lucifer actually examined his fall and, where, and how he ended up where he's currently at and thought to himself, well, if I fell because of, then anyone that I approach will fall from their place because of. And I present this for your consideration even before we read this, is that Lucifer fell first in his mind because it was a little bit of a thought, a little bit of an idea, a little bit of a suggestion. And he went ahead and embraced that thought and it led to his fall. Now he's kicked out of heaven and sees a man and a woman who's in right standing with God in full relationship with God. I was in right standing with God. I was one of those big dog angels along with Michael and Gabriel. And so if I fell because of my unmaintained thought life, then they're going to fall because of their unmaintained thought life. The management of our thoughts is more important than you'll ever know. And we must not allow culture to squeeze us into their form of thinking how that we are to function in our homes, on the job, with our friends. Listen, listen to what it says here in chapter 14, verse 12. Oh, how art thou fallen from heaven? O Lucifer, son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground which didn't weaken the nations? For thou hast said, underlined it, in thy heart... A little bit of a thought. I will ascend into the heavens and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. He had that, those thoughts. Now, can I just say this, guys? We have to ask ourselves the question, where did those thoughts come from? Because if you're not real careful as believers today, you'll come to the conclusion that every thought that comes your way is always from the devil. That there's an outside evil force that's, that's, that, that, that's planting those thoughts within your mind. But when Lucifer fell, there is no outside evil force planting those thoughts in his mind. He was in heaven. He was of the third of the uh, over over a third of the angels. He was he was he was up there with Michael Gabriel and Lucifer was right in there in the mix of all this. So so where did those thoughts come from? It came from his eye gate. He came from his eye gate. He saw the glory that God was receiving, and he wanted that for himself. Listen, guys, you need to watch what thoughts come to you through the eye gate. You need to watch those thoughts. How many of you know David has some thoughts looking down Bathsheba? Come on, guys. That came from the eye gate. Devil's not even mentioned in that story of David's fall. It was all about the eye gate. So you need to be real careful. You need to be real careful about the eye gate. Come on, guys. And you know as well as I do that Lucifer had all these thoughts. And he, over the period of time, over a period of time, began to yang, 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 yang toward all the angels that were underneath his Leadership. You understand this? I've said it for years that 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 the pastors, when you have a department head, and and they get sideways with you, and they speak into their people that are underneath them, those 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 slight little comments that show kind of disapproval, those kind of things that get you in trouble real quick. And what happens is, is when the department head leaves, normally everyone in the department leaves with them also. Because, because you have time to be casually, if you will, discontented. Are you listening to me? 
That happens in, thank you, Lord, that happens in families. When all of a sudden the parents get discontented with the church and they kind of just little small little comments here and there within their family setting in casual times. And then what happens is all of a sudden you start seeing the, the children embrace that same attitude toward, come on, guys, come on. You need to be real careful what you do in this area. Because you're impacting lives. Are you listening to me? You be very careful about this. And so he actually passed his discontentments, his, his thoughts, on to the, to, the, to, the, to the third of the angels that were underneath him, to the they followed him in the rebellion. So where did those thoughts come from when it came to the angelic force that, was, that he had authority over? It came from the ear gate. You need, to, you need to really pay attention to what you're hearing. You need to really pay attention to what you're looking at. You need to guard those areas. Yes, Lucifer can plant thoughts into your life. Yes. But it can also come through you looking on things you ought not be looking at. Thinking of, uh, listening to stuff that you ought not be, that you ought not be, are you listening to me? And so the thing about it is, is Lucifer fell from his place because of an unmaintained thought life. Come on, guys. Adam and Eve fell from her place because of an unmaintained thought life. She allowed Lucifer to plant those thoughts within, go with me, if you will, to Luke. Luke chapter 4. Jesus said it this way. Luke 4. No, if ever there was a time and a day that we must maintain our thought life and bring every thought into captivity, it is today. There are so many voices out there speaking into our lives. Luke chapter 4, you know the story of Jesus in the wilderness. Lucifer approaches, approaches Jesus, the Son of God, in the wilderness. Verse 3, and all she offered him was a little suggestion, a little thought. Verse 3, if thou be the Son of God, command the stones to be made bread. You're hungry. But Jesus maintained his thought life. Verse 6. The devil said unto, unto Jesus all this power after taking upon him, upon a, if you will, a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms. All this power will I give thee and the glory of them for that is delivered unto me. And whosoever I will give it, if thou wilt just worship me. Just a little bit of a thought, a little bit of an idea, a little bit of a suggestion. Verse 9. If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, all he did was offer him a little bit of an idea, a little bit of a suggestion. You, do you see this? Go with me, if you will. We know this fact from Luke, that the devil is a liar and the father of lies. And you know as well as I do that when you're lying to someone, you're trying to get them to think on things that are not true. To think on things that are not true. Go with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. The Bible clearly informs us that Lucifer is a liar and he's a deceiver. 
The word deception means to cause someone to think on things that are not true. I received a heart-wrenching phone call this last week from, a, from an alumni whose wife, she was the, the wife of this marriage, and just had had enough. She's asking, actually crying out in the nighttime, Lord, just take me home. I can't do this anymore. She's 60-some-odd years of age, young, 60s, and uh, her husband, complete narcissist. Every, every, everything, he's always right. She's never, she's never right. It's always got to be her way. They haven't been in church since 2017 because he doesn't agree with, but she longs to. And I thought to myself, how twisted of a thought life. Are you all out there? That's the reason why, that's the reason why that we need to stay close to the word. Because the word of God is going to help us to recognize these thoughts that have come our way that, that go against, even though they're culturally accepted. The word of God, the word of God continually will, will, will spotlight those, those, those issues. Another issue that we need to stay close to is the Holy Ghost. Be sensitive to his spirit because it's very clear that the Bible teaches us that he will teach you all things. That he will guide you into all truth that he'll actually remind you of things that have been said. But we also need to have encounters not only with the Word of God and not only with the Spirit of God when it comes to our thought life, but guys, we also need to have encounters with one another. Community. Community is important. It's more important as the day approaches, the Bible says, that we're to encourage one another. So the thing about it is, you know, your friends can, t- can tell when you're off quicker than anyone else. But if you never hang around any friends... If you never go out to eat with anybody, if you never have anybody over, I mean, if you know, your adult children know when you're all screwed up better than you do sometimes. But as parents, we, we also know when our, when our kids are all screwed up better than they do sometimes. We need one another. Isn't that right? We need the Spirit of God. We need the Word of God. But the thing about it is, is, is all of a sudden in, in um, Revelation chapter 12, the Bible is called the deceiver of the world. Notice what it says here. In um, verse 7, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7. Now, this has already happened. This has already taken place. And listen to what it says here. It says these words. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against that dragon. And the dragon, this was, this was when Lucifer rose up against God to try to take the throne because of his thought life is now manifesting into actions. And, and so he says these words. There was this war. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. Lucifer, and that Lucifer fought and his angels against Michael and his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out and to, uh, was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, underline it, which deceiveth the whole world, underline that phrase. That is a statement of summary that summarizes the entire uh, conduct of Lucifer from the time that he's kicked out of heaven until the time that he is bound in chains for a thousand years. We'll talk about that in a moment. His whole, his whole mode of operation is deception to cause you to think on things that are not true. This is the reason why that Jesus said these words, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. 
Listen, guys, before the truth can set you free from sickness, it has to first of all set you free from untruth. Truth sets you free from untruth first, then physically, then financially, then emotionally, then in every area of our life. He is the deceiver of the world. Verse, verse 9, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Everybody say deceiveth. Then go with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20. Now, in Revelation 20, this is about to happen. This is going to happen. I cannot, I cannot wait for this to happen. And all of us that are born again are going to see this from the grandstands of heaven. And I cannot wait. Chapter 20 and verse 1. We're talking about thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. It is his mode of operation. See, what's interesting to me is this, is that we have been, in the charismatic world, we have been so taken, encouraging people to guard the door of your mouth. Man, you watch what you say. You watch how you talk. You watch the words you use. Man, we've had a lot of that. But then we've had a lot of other individuals that say, no, 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 no. It's conduct. It's behavior. You watch how you behave. You you watch how you conduct yourself. But what's interesting to me is, 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 is we spend all this time guarding the door of our mouth, guarding the door of our behavior, and he's coming through the door of our thought life. Our thought life is important. Self talk is important. The way we see ourselves is important. And we must understand that. Oh, to guard the door of our words is noble and right. To guard the door of our behavior, absolutely. But this door of our thought life is getting, is getting us into trouble. Because sooner or later, you keep embracing those thoughts, and those thoughts continue to smother you and surround you and multiply themselves in you. Then all of a sudden, you'll find yourself captured with those thoughts before you know it. We'll talk about that in a moment. Revelation chapter 20. Oh, I can't wait. And I saw verse, tw- verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. Man, man I can't wait for that. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that underlined it that he should deceive the nations no more. Underline that phrase. So here again, from the time that he is kicked out until the time that he's bound for a thousand years, he's about the business of what? Deception. Everybody say it, deception. Till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed. I wonder what he's going to do after he's loosed. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again till the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but that they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. Verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed 
out of his prison. I wonder what he's going to do. Shall be loosed out of his prison, and he shall go out to underline it. To what? To cause people to think on things that are not true. He shall go out to deceive the nations. Every loosed moment that Lucifer has among humanity, he is about the business of deceiving. Before any marriage can deteriorate, somebody's thinking on things that are not true. Before, before depression ever shows itself publicly, there's some thoughts going on. Before you ever step out of the will of God, there's some thoughts. Never will forget, Greg spoke of my time there at Rama. I'm a full-time instructor. After pastoring a church in Texas, in the late 70s, early 80s, 1981, I became a full-time instructor at Rama, And uh, um, and so I taught from 81 to 86. And all of a sudden, first part of 86, the thoughts kept coming to me, they don't want you around here anymore. They're done with you. And I'm going to get way ahead of myself here. But over the years, the Lord has taught me this. Learn how thoughts take you captive, and you can learn how to take thoughts captive. Learn how thoughts take you captive, and you can learn how to take thoughts captive. How do thoughts capture you? You know as well as I do, a thought cannot capture you with just one thought. A thought will bring every little piece of evidence that it can, that it can pull together to show you that the thought that it's offering you is true. So all of the lack of communication, all of the lack of kindness, all the lack of... Those, 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 those pictures, those videos, those recordings were brought with this whole thought. They don't want you around here anymore. And I wallowed in that and let that smother me for quite some time. Until I'm ministering with Brother Hagen in, in Dick Brunell's church over in San Jose, California. I'm doing the morning sessions. Brother Hagen's doing the night sessions. And I went into Brother Hagen's hotel room one afternoon and said, Dad, Mom, when I get back to Tulsa, I'm going to resign. They said, what are you, you going to do what? Totally caught him by surprise. Dad said, I don't know, Doug, I don't know. Well, Mom wasn't as kind as Dad was. She, 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 was, she was sharper with her comments. You're going to go backwards and not forwards. This is the dumbest thing you've ever done in your life. And I mean, she went off on me. 
And I said, but I believe that God, I believe that God would, uh, would have me to do this. And I noticed that when I said that, that Brother Hagin stopped talking to me. He said, well, I want you to pray about it. He said, you know, I've actually had it in my heart that we should, that we should move you over to be the coordinator for the prayer and healing center. And, you, and, and to teach on, on healing and be over the healing part of it. So, so I want you to go home and I want you to think about this because I've been meaning to talk to you about that. But, uh, uh, but I just hadn't. But now that you've done this, I want you to think about as you're going back home whether or not you would accept my offer and not leave us but, but, take, but take healing school. But I had so convinced myself That when I got back, I went ahead and resigned. I left in 1986 and became an associate pastor at a church in Tulsa. And I operated in the associate pastor position from 1986 until 1989. And things began to, t- to deteriorate with that job in 1989. It began to become very disgruntled. And with my tail between my legs, because my wife and I, what are we going to do? We need to leave here. Where do we go? We started looking for churches. And I started trying out for churches all over the country. And uh, every time I tried out, the Lord would say no. I mean, I'm talking about good churches. I'm talking about good-sized churches. And the Lord said no. Mm -mm." There was one in Jackson, Mississippi I really liked. It was a big church. The Lord said "Mm mm-mm. So finally, I got so desperate. I put a map out on the chopping block in our kitchen. I want to know where. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? I don't know. I mean, I could not find out what to do. Didn't know what to do. Didn't know where to go. So finally, my wife talked to me about, you might want to go back to Brother Hagen. I said, I'm not going back there. No, I'm not going back there. But finally, she convinced me. With my tail between my legs in 1989, I called Brother Hagen up. And I asked him. I got a hold of Pastor Hagen, too. And Pastor was a little bit more, here again, direct. He said, you got four options. You can start a church from scratch, which I knew I didn't want to do. You can, you can take over a church that was going, I thought that's an option. You can itinerate, not going to do that because i got kids. Or you can leave the ministry completely and go secular. Raymond was not in the group. I cried all the way home. What are we going to do? A few weeks later, I was looking at a church, thinking about it, and I got a call from Brother Hagen. I hear you're looking at such and such a church. I said, yeah, I'm looking at it, but I, I don't know. He said, he said, I tell you what, give me till Wednesday, and I want you to see me. I want, I want you to come and see me Wednesday. Don't, don't, do any, don't make any decisions about this. So I said, okay. And uh, long story short, he offered me the prayer and healing center coordinator position again and that, that I would be put back into that position. He said, you'll sub for me this year and then you'll teach full time again when school starts the next year because we're already full in all of our teaching positions. So I came back to work for Brother Haken, 1989. About two weeks after I became an employee again, Brother Hagen called me into his office. 
He said, there were things that I could not do because you left me in 86. I'm glad you're back. I'm glad you're back. But he said, you're a very fortunate young man. Most people don't get to come back once they leave. And I said to him, I said, Dad, why didn't you stop me? How, how, how come you didn't, how come you didn't, how come you didn't put up a, he said, the moment you said God said, I will not be found fighting against God. That stopped the conversation, in my opinion, because I'm not going to be found fighting against God. Listen, guys, you need to be very careful playing the God card. I'm going to say that again. You, you be very careful telling people that God said. You better not be lying about it. We've all done it. We have all done it. We've all done it. Are you all out there? But the wise man, the moment you do that God card, okay, hands off. Hands off. Because now, now you're going to have to work it out with God. But I'm not going to get involved with that. But what happened was, is I completely, I was completely smothered by these ideas, by these pictures, by these experiences that I had with Brother Hagen, with Pastor Hagen, with Lynette, with the, some of the staff, that they don't want me around anymore. Are you listening to me? Just recently, I encountered those same things, those same thoughts. You know, there's a verse in Hebrews 12 that that talks about sins that so easily beset you, smother you. Surrounds you. I've learned this through through this experience that my wife and I have had. I'll tell you about it in a moment. That um, thoughts that you battled with as a youth, those same thoughts will reapproach in your winter years of life. And I've always struggled a little bit with inferiority. I've always struggled with that. Had a good grip on it for a while there, but just recently some of these things kept popping back up again. And so a while back ago, I just had to have a real heart-to-heart talk with my kids and my wife. I've never talked to them like, like we talked that night for over almost two hours. I shared with them stuff, shared with my wife stuff that I'd never shared with anybody about the way I thought about myself, about about where I'm at in ministry. And after my daughter had gone back to North Carolina and my son still lives in Tulsa, my my wife and I, we were sitting in the Lazy Boys in our house and uh, she started talking to me. She said, you know, the same way, the the same verbiage, the same talk that you were talking to is what we encountered back in 86. He said, you need to be careful about feeding those beliefs, feeding those lies and feeding those thoughts 
Because if you're not real careful, you'll repeat the same thing you did in 86. You'll repeat it now, and you'll be out of the will of God. And she was right. She was right. I had to put a stop to it. Are you listening to me? You just think very clearly of all the people that fell from their place in the Bible. Ananias and Sapphira. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Just keep back half of it. Nobody will ever know. Are you all out there? That came to them. To a, it was logical. It was practical. But it led them, it led them into destruction, into failure. Judas was led by the by, by Lucifer to betray the Lord. Our thought life is more important. The way we see ourselves is more important than you'll ever imagine. It's where Lucifer kind of gains access into our life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you will. Second Corinthians. Y'all doing okay today? I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. No, every person that has ever fallen from their place has fallen first in their thought life. You know, in this thought, I was reminded as I flipped my notes over, this thought came to me a long time ago and I wrote it down. No matter how spiritually mature you are, no matter what, 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 what steps you have taken in ministry, it doesn't matter. You're still susceptible and you need to guard your thought life. Lucifer was, was a third of the angelic leader. The angels were in heaven with, Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. Jesus, the Son of God, was even we all of us, all of us have to spend time, if you will, to manage our thought life. And we'll close very quickly here. Second Corinthians chapter 10. And I want to begin reading, if you will, with verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but the mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing, underline it, that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Well, if you don't have the knowledge of God, if you've not renewed your mind, if you've not spent time in this word, renewing your mind on a regular basis, you're not going to know whether or not the thought that's coming your way has exalted itself against the knowledge of God or not. Casting down every thought and and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought. Every thought. As we, as we feed on the word on a regular basis, 
we're developing a belief system. The belief system is the filter that we use to filter every thought that comes our way through the filter of the Word. But here again, if you do not have the Word, if you've not been reading your Bible, if you've not spent time in the Word, you're not going to have much of a filter, if you will, to filter those thoughts through. And so that filter is acting as a, if you will, a security guard in your life. And it's actually kind of a friend or foe type of a thing. If the thought is a friend of what you have had your mind renewed with, then that thought is to be allowed to enter into our lives. But if that thought is a, is a foe and goes against what we believe in the Word as to how we are to conduct ourselves with our spouse, how we are to conduct ourselves on the job, how we are to conduct ourselves, come on, guys, If it's if it's if it's a if it's a if it's a foe, then I am to bring it into captivity. And once again, the Lord said this to me. Here again, learn how thoughts take you captive. You can learn how to take thoughts captive. Well, how does a thought take you captive? By surrounding you with every piece of evidence that it has. So then, how are we going to bring every thought into captivity by surrounding every thought that we have with the Word of God? With the Word of God, that we're justified by faith that we are the redeemed of the Lord, that we have reconciliation with God, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. And I mean, we can go on and on and on and on and on. But here again, our, our, our immaturity in the word is actually working against us. That's the reason why that your pastor is such a strong teacher, strong. I, I don't really know if you really know how strong of a teacher he is. You sit underneath him on a regular basis, but compared to a lot of other people that I know, much stronger than the majority of people that I know. So you're very fortunate, but, but you must never take that for granted. You must continually allow yourself to also feed on the Word of God for your own stuff. Let things He said spark you to where you get in the Word of God. To where why? Because the more I know about the Word, the more of a filter that I have with the things coming my way. And I'm over here in Romans now, and I start learning about redemption, which I already knew about. Justification by faith was not a strong suit in my life. Not a strong issue in my life. I found this to be true, that, 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 that if we're not real careful, you can be very narrow in, in your doctrinal width. You can be very narrow. And I won't go into much detail about this. Um, but, but we need to know that we're justified by faith through His grace. We need to know that we have reconciliation. We need to know that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Because the more we know about these things, and then we act on the Word of God in all these other areas, then it begins to change our lives. But it all begins with, how am I thinking about my wife? How am I thinking about my husband? What are my thoughts about my job? What about my thoughts that I, about me? And the giftings that I have? What are my thoughts? We need to continually examine ourselves in this area because it is a battle. And we're seeing people lose it right and left. It's time that we kind of, if you will, change the curve on that thing and begin to see some more successes in that area. To examine our own heart. It's easy, I'll say this, it's easy for you to examine and to see where other people are off thought-wise. It's not so easy sometimes when it comes to you. 
That's the reason why we need to stay in the Word of God. Amen? Father, we just thank you today for your goodness and for your mercy. Father, Lord, we just ask you, Father, that you continue to birth this whole subject within our lives through Pastor uh, Greg's teachings. Thank you, Father, that you you connect the dots. And that, Father, that your Word, Father, will prevail within our lives. That will exalt your Word above every thought, every idea, every suggestion that comes our way. And, Father, we'll give you the glory, we'll give you the praise as lives are changed in our marriages, on our jobs, with our children. Father, with the way that we see ourselves in relationship to you, the way we see ourselves in relationship to others. Father, may we get a correct picture through your word, and may that, may that picture change our lives in a, real, in, a, in a real way. And, Father, we'll give you the glory. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. And you say, Brother Doug... You know, I've had a lot of thoughts about my relationship with God. I know Jesus loves me. I know Jesus died for me. But the way I see myself, I see myself in a way that doesn't deserve. I can see right now that my thinking's been wrong about this. He does love me. He did send his son to die for me. And I need to accept him and make him the Lord of my life. With every head bowed, please, and every eye closed, you say, Brother Doug, please pray for me. I need Jesus in my life. I need to make a change. I need to make a change. I've been here to this place before. I've I've sat through altar calls before. But I've allowed my mind to kind of talk me out of Please pray for me. Can I see your hand at all? Anywhere at all? So, Father, we thank you today for your goodness. We thank you that you continue to lead this church through your word, by your spirit. Thank you for Pastor Greg and Karen and the staff. May you continue to brighten their light, Father, and shine bright in this community. And, Father, we'll give you the glory and we'll give you the honor in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Pastor Greg. Thank the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Well, we want to give you an opportunity to give to this wonderful ministry, so we want to open that up. You can do that through the various ways that you were uh, given uh, during the offering, and uh, we just uh, believe that this is good ground to sow into. Amen. And uh, so we're going to do that at this time. You can uh, give cash. It'll go 100%. You can give uh, through the app. You can give online if you're watching online this morning. And 100% will go towards uh, Doug and his ministry. We're grateful for him and grateful for that strong word in Jesus' name. Amen. So ushers go forth right now in the name of Jesus. And I'll sing a special. <laughs> you certainly you certainly don't want that. That's not... That's not <laughs> That's certainly not. But what a powerful word. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, one of the things that I battled with was self-hatred. Self-hatred. And uh, self-hatred actually begins to operate where it begins to cause your body to act in an autoimmune situation 
where your body actually comes against because your body responds because you're a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a physical body. The body actually falls in line with your predominant thought life. And uh, I wrestled with a lot of the insecurities, a lot of the uh, self-deprecating, you know, ideas about myself for many years. I had an orphan heart for many years, even as a pastor, even as someone that was walking with the Lord. I never really fully was able to enjoy my relationship with Jesus until I got sick. And when I got sick, things changed. And uh, I had uh, been trying, you know, here's the trap. Because you don't find the security and safety in Christ, you start looking for it outside of yourself. And you begin to measure yourself by metrics that you should never measure yourself by. And they continue to discourage you until it just beats you down to where you begin to make stupid decisions with your mouth, stupid decisions with your actions, because you didn't take care of that eye gate, you didn't take care of that ear gate. Amen? And uh, I'm here to tell you that there's people here today that need help with this area. I pastored a church and was doing well. I have a beautiful wife, four beautiful sons, and eight beautiful grandchildren. There should be absolutely no reason why I should wrestle with these things from, from, from an environment standpoint. But it's the inner weather. It's the inner weather that matters. And so I'm going to ask our ministers to come on up here. Now I'm going to close the service out, but we have ministers here. That if you're having trouble in that area, if that's something that you're struggling with, don't walk out without help. Know that the power of Jesus Christ can, can deliver you, you know, like we said Wednesday night. The greatest deliverance you need in your life is the deliverance from you. Amen? You know, people get upset because, hey, why, why are they running? Why are they jumping? Well, I'm telling you, majority of the time when I have to jump, when the Lord tells me to jump, is to get out of myself and to get off high center. I remember one time I needed money to go to Bible school. I needed $540 to go to Rama. I didn't have it. And I mean, I was just down on myself. You know, isn't it amazing? When you face a problem, the first thing you look at is, why can't I make this happen? Why is this happening for me? See, you're totally looking and thinking that you're a loser, big L. And the Lord says, will you dance for me? I was out in the back 40 over here in Silver City. Will you dance for me? And I was out in the field, and the only thing we was looking at was a couple of cows and, you know, and, and some squirrels, you know. And so, you know, I was, in, I was in a bad spot. I mean, I was not happy. I was mad. I was even angry with the Lord, and that's what it will do. It will cause you to get angry at the one person that can solve your problem. And he asked me to do something. Will you dance for me? You know, I was doing the spiritual hokey pokey. You put your, you know, and, uh, and I said, you know what? I really need that $540. I'm not going to be able to go to Bible school. And he would not stop. He said, will you dance? I said, dancing? 
get behind me, Satan. And then I went back through, you know how we do. We go back through it. You know, if I don't have that $540, I'm not going to go to Bible school and I'm not going to fulfill the will of God for my life. And it's all because of you. You didn't give me that $540. And he says, well, you dance. He never stopped. And we did that about five times. And I just lifted my hands and began to praise the Lord and began to, you know, move. And, and I was getting off high center. I was get, getting delivered from myself. And a lot of times when you see people running, exhibiting behavior in services, it's really to get them off a high center and get them out of the funk. Amen? Get that funk out of your head to where you can begin to hear the voice of the Lord because that's what this stuff does. It impedes the voice of God. Amen? Powerful message. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Well, I'm going to close us out, and uh, the ministers are here to minister to you. And if you need prayer in any area, if you need to be born again, you need to rededicate your life, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, praise God, they're here. One-stop shop right now. Don't go out the same way you came in. Amen? You're dismissed in Jesus' name.